This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it is Rebecca and Tara, and we are here to discuss... I mean, really, we need a drum roll, yeah. I swear. To dis- Sorry, that was terrible. Canada Reads long list before the end of the year. So Woo. exciting. Woo. Boom, 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 boom. So exciting. It's like an early Christmas gift for us, really. It really is. And I have to say that perhaps they listen to everybody online who's been complaining. I've only been at this, I think, four or five years, so... Everybody who's been complaining over the last four or five years about this and giving everyone an opportunity to buy these as gifts or buy them for themselves yep. for the holidays to push those sales for all these great books. Yay. Yay, yay, yay. Yeah, because that's the only thing I haven't liked before about the long list followed by the short list is the long list only gets like a week. Usually it's a week, right? Mm-hmm. Of, uh, of publicity. And then it's just like gone, done. Mm-hmm. Every, you can't read 12, 15 books in a week. It's impossible. Yeah. So it's nice that they're getting like a nice good four weeks before the short list is announced. Absolutely. So, well, we will talk about that in a second, but I do want to ask, what's up? What have you been up to? Okay. Well, I recently kicked off my holiday season by going to see one of my favorite drag queens perform in a Christmas show. Oh, I know. So it was uh, the drag queen is Jinx Monsoon. Uh, she's from the U.S., from Portland, I believe. And she does a annual Christmas show with one of her best friends, who is Ben De La Creme, is the, her drag queen name. And so myself and my two kids went to Hamilton and saw them perform in this lovely, like, Christmas inspired I believe there was a little Hanukkah in there as well of beautiful costumes and singing and dancing a little risque song occasionally but it was just like a really lovely fun way to begin our holiday season and she does this like every year she does like the special program around the holidays wow so I think um I don't know how many years ago it started, that she started doing it. But uh, I think the closest, I checked last year and she was in Buffalo. They were performing it in Buffalo and I was kind of tempted to get tickets and I'm like, I can't drive to Buffalo by myself. So I didn't do that. But this year in the summer, I saw that she was performing. In, they announced it in June or something and I was like, on it, done. And I bought tickets right away. Cool. Yeah. Now, when did you start watching or following drag performers? Mm. Do you remember? It um, it had to be at least 10 years ago, I would guess, when I started watching RuPaul. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite art forms ever. Like, I, I love the show, but I love drag as an art, the expression. And it's really cool to watch it in the newer seasons because it's expanded beyond, right? So you get, like, to different countries who... UK drag race, Canada's drag race, and oh. how, yeah, and how the art is really expanding and becoming super inclusive, like of, you know, it's not just drag queens, there's, I think in the UK, they had, is she a drag, a, a drag king, 
and there's trans drag queens. It's just it's lovely. I just love it's such a happy art form. Yeah. And it's beautiful to watch what they do. It's amazing what they do. They're so talented. But it just makes me so happy to watch it. You know, that's art. Yeah. It's so funny. When I lived in Los Angeles, I worked at this bar. And right down the street, a lot of times my friends and I or my coworker, we'd go down to this bar. And it was also sort of probably our bar was equal distance from this drag bar. And so these guys would come in and they weren't the performers. They were the, I guess, people who just would come to the show, but they would all be dressed up. Yes. And I have to laugh because at the time, that was something new. I had come from Michigan. I had never seen, you know, a male dressed as a female. And so they would have like full-on beards, but these gorgeous gowns. Bless their little hearts. They would sit with their legs kind of apart, you know, like because <laughs> they didn't quite have the female persona kind of down, you know, it was yeah. really... And so that was my first, that was, and that was back in the eighties. So that was like my first introduction to kind of drag, but I've never been to a show. I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even know until you that they did all these, you know, live performances. Yeah. I mean, these big touring ones is what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. So that's so cool. That that's your, I know. It's one of your things. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, we've been, I think this was the second time we've seen Jinx because she also had a, her own like solo tour over the summer. So we saw her perform then because she also recently uh, performed in Chicago on Broadway, which is, Ooh. oh yeah, she is like, her voice is amazing. And then recently, a couple months ago, I went to... Uh, a local pub and we saw, went to a drag brunch with friends and that was super fun and I, I wonder I don't think that happens around here where I'm at maybe maybe in the Detroit area or something because I just I just don't hear about that so much here yeah huh. I bet in I think it's fairly new for like my area I think in the more urban areas it's perhaps not but here it's like in the last couple of years but yeah. And you have to make reservations for the drag brunch. Like, it's not easy to get into. It's very popular. It's fun. It's fun. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. So what are you up to? Well, I am a few days away from a puppy, a an eight-week-old puppy. I can't say specific details quite yet until after her arrival. I'm not, a, I'm not asked, or I'm said, blah. I have been asked not to share too much information because even at the last minute it could change, but it looks like I'm getting a little eight week old female and I will be of course posting pictures when I can. And I'm really excited, but I'm also really nervous. It's been over just a little over 20 years since I raised a service dog. And so I am a little nervous about just starting that process again. And I know once I start, it'll, it'll kind of fall into place. Yeah. Uh, but I have a lot of learning to do. They have a new sort of style of training, which I'm really excited about. It's all very positive reinforcement. And I really love that. And they've had a higher success rate. So that's great. So the dog I will be raising is for canine companions and they place dogs with people or organizations with disabilities other than blindness. So they're not, it's not a guide dog, but it is mm -hmm. a full on service dog. So it's super exciting. Really excited to get my little ball of fluff and to just love on her and yeah. train her. So, yeah. Awesome. I cannot wait to see pictures. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. I'm so excited. But uh, 
let's get to the business okay. of tonight, though. Do right? it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we are going to talk about our predictions for the shortlist. And we want to say that these are, pro- or I'll, I'll say what I think, and then you may or may not agree, but we'll yeah. see. I sort of looked at the list and said, I wasn't really sure what the theme is. Um, and then I guess it, some one of our friends, Sarah, told me what it was. But basically, I don't really worry about the theme because I, I'm never quite sure if that really matters. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I'm also not sure. It's kind of a crapshoot. You know, you pick yep. books. I'm picking five books that I really want to read. And then I do have a bit of a rationale why I think they might make the list. But I am less confident this year than I've ever been. And I've done pretty well in the past predicting, but I really think that my, who knows, this year, like it just seems harder this yeah on this list. I don't know. What do you think? It's a very diverse list. Mm-hmm. Like very, like there's a couple of graphic novels, a couple of romances, fantasy, literary like nonfiction, it's it's kind of all over the place, really. Yeah, memoir, short stories, yeah. yeah short yeah. stories, that's right, yeah. I didn't try, like, I think last year when we did this, you and I, we tried separately to kind of find a common ground, like of grouping. I remember I tried to group them together mm-hmm. so I could see if, like, oh, they're definitely, like, these five or, or three are for this, for one individual, but... I didn't bother to do that this year because they just, yeah, they're so, you know, yeah. Yeah, I just didn't. Yeah. So I just looked it up. Sarah, yeah, did send me a text earlier today, and she said the theme is one book to carry us forward, mm-hmm. which is sort of an odd thing. I'm not quite sure how they may mean that, which may yeah. be the point of leaving it open for interpretation maybe. I don't yes. know. I am always wary of when they announce the theme of mm-hmm. the books too with the long list because the last couple of years it seems that they've changed it. When they when you get the oh, short right. list, the short list says something different. Yeah. So I'm a little wary, and I did see um, on their on CBC they described it as a collection of books about finding resilience and the hope needed to carry on and keep moving forward. So when I read that, I thought the resilience made a little more sense to me. I could see that theme carried throughout a lot of the books. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is really weird. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's sort of like the theme is always kind of always the same. I mean, yeah, I don't even know if they – we've talked about this before about whether they really hardcore need a theme, but they do. Yep. So. Yep. Okay. Who wants to go first? You. You go first. Okay. I'm excited. I'll go first. My first book, and it was funny because it's on the top of the list, as it was, as it appeared on the CBC Books Instagram uh, post. Number one was Reuniting with Strangers by Jenna Lee Austria Bonifacio. And it is about a Filipino family. But what was really interesting, and I'm going to pull it up here. Of course, I should have done that before I started talking. But uh, (laughs) it says here... Uh, this unforgettable novel, novel follows the reunification of Filipino caregiver families over one Canadian winter. But what I, the reason I kind of thought it might be uh, something that would make the list is it says here from a cliffside town in the some highlands of, Phil, of the Philippines to the Filipino communities in the desert of Osoyoos, the Arctic world of Iqaluit, 
the suburbs of Southern Ontario, Sarnia's Chemical Valley, Montreal's Cote, well, I don't, I don't speak French, and Toronto's Little Manila, blah, blah, blah. So then I thought, boy, that covers mm-hmm. Canada, covers a lot of different climate areas and landscapes and people and life experiences. So that's why I picked Reuniting with Strangers. And I want, I already actually had this on my list on my TBR, kind of forgot about it. So that's my number one. Mm, Good choice. Good choice. I hadn't heard of this book before. My first time hearing of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My first choice is Bad Medicine by Christopher Twin graphic novel with indigenous storytelling and it's horror did you look at this one i sure did so are you surprised (laughs) that i'm choosing this one (laughs) i'm very surprised actually yeah oh are you i'm surprised partly because it's a graphic novel yeah and it's horror and so i was thinking i wonder if people will think oh last year a graphic novel won you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think people will. So yeah. I should say I, I I, just chose the five books that I wanted to see on the list. I, okay, I, yeah. Yeah. So Thank this you. is one that, yeah. So I, I, I didn't put as, as much thought into it as Rebecca does. So I admit that now. I was just like, I'm just going to be selfish and just choose the five books that I would like to read. Although I do want to read a lot of this list. Mm-hmm. But I chose this one because... Well, I love the graphic novel and it's, I think it said it was like a group of teenagers, indigenous teenagers who get together and tell stories, horror stories over the campfire. And I was like, that game on right away. I'm like, this is on my list. I want to read this book. I totally agree because I did put that on my TBR. I, in fact, I looked it up to see if I could get a copy right now. And there are two copies in the state of Michigan, but neither one of them circulate. So I was like, damn it. So I'm going to have to buy that one probably. So, and no, and I think you're, I think you're valid that that could be an argument that people put against it is that the graphic novel won last year. But having said that, a fiction novel may have won the year before and we still will go for fiction. Or nonfiction, you know what I mean? Like it's why can graphic novel only win once? I agree. And I think that what could be interesting is exactly that. If it's on and it wins or it's one of two at the end, that really maybe solidifies in people's minds more why graphic novels deserve to be there and that they are just part of the part of the the competition without us having to go, oh, well, a graphic novel won last year, which is exactly what I'm saying. So, yeah. Yeah. And I also like, now, you know, I love literary fiction, but I also Mm -hmm. love genre fiction. And it's really Mm -hmm. exciting in the last like two to three years to see more genre fiction getting onto the Canada Reads, especially this year. Like we have romance, horror, like it's, so I've got to go, I'm going to always go cheer for the seeing some horror and seeing some fantasy into Canada reads. Mm -hmm. And likewise, like I love bad Cree. And one of the reasons why I didn't choose bad Cree is because I've already read it. Otherwise I I would be, I would love to see that one there as well. See, that's why I would put it on my list so that it would win. (laughs) And then I wouldn't, that's one less book I would have to read for the competition. Well, I'm not going to be sad if it's on the list. I'll be honest. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. I know. And I was excited because our good friend Colleen loaned me her copy of Bad Cree. So I'm like, oh, yeah. excellent. I already have a copy if, awesome. it, if it makes the list. So, okay. So my second choice. Yeah. And I have to laugh. I have a lot more time as I'm retired and I have time to look things over and think them through. That's why I always have some sort of rationale for why I pick things. But again, who knows? Okay. So I picked for my second book, Junie by Shalene Knight. And it says it's long listed for the 2023 Carol Shields Prize for Fiction, a riveting exploration of the complexity within mother-daughter relationships and the dynamic, dynamic vitality of Vancouver's former Hogan's Alley neighborhood. 1930s Hogan's Alley, a thriving black and immigrant community located in Vancouver's East End. And I thought that just sounded really fascinating. Like that covers a really sort of interesting and compelling time period. I don't know if the time period is actually fully set in the 1930s, but it's just the mother-daughter dynamic. I don't think that's something we've seen recently in the competition. I like that it's a Black and immigrant community. So that is why I picked Junie for number two. I totally agree because that was my choice as well for number two. Excellent. Yeah, for the same reason that you said. And this one was already on my radar because of the Carol Shields Prize Mm -hmm. uh, from last year. So it was already on my TBR. So I was like, I recognize that. And then when I did like a deeper read on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this sounds really, really good. So is it set in the 1930s or does it start in the 30s and then go I don't know. So I haven't read it yet. Okay. But it's, yeah, and I think the description was just like 1930s, black and immigrant community, right? Yeah, it doesn't really, Mm. although it sounds like you get, it says here, as Junie finds adulthood exploring. So maybe we get a little bit into like 40s, 50s, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah artistic talents and burgeoning sexuality that sounds like could be the 60s too oh that's true yeah Yeah. that's cool we both agree on junie and and i will just say shout out to our friend sarah sarah picked junie as well so maybe we got three people in junie's corner here so we'll we'll see i think that's i think that's a good sign i hope so (laughs) because i would i really do (laughs) want to read that one so all right my number three choice is and i had picked something else but then i could not not pick this book. So I had to take something else mm. off my list. I am going to read this book. I cannot wait. I'm excited. The Future by Catherine LaRue, oh, yes. translated by Susan O-U-R-I-O-U. I'm sorry. I do not know how to pronounce that. But it says, and I love it because it's speculative fiction, which yes. I'm trying to embrace. And it's also set in I my know. home state. So it says, in an alternative history in which the French never surrendered Detroit, children protect their own kingdom in the trees. Looking for answers and her missing granddaughters, Gloria moves into the house where her daughter was murdered, a stranger in a Fort Detroit neighborhood coping with the ongoing effects of racial and economic injustice. She finds herself surrounded by poverty, pollution, violence, as well as the resilience of the residents, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, boy, there's a lot of topics there that would be, make great discussion points right now. I love this idea of just that idea that, you know, the French never surrendered Detroit and that would have changed the whole Midwest, et cetera. I just thought that was really cool. And so whether or not it makes it, I'm going to read it. I just hope it does. I just think it sounds like a really, you know, just a fascinating read. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, again, I chose this one as well. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Okay. Because I, (laughs) this one also was on my radar because I love Catherine LaRue. So I read a few years ago, one of her books, I think it was called The Party Wall, was shortlisted for the Giller. And she also does translation for other authors as well, which I think is really cool. So that's why you don't, I don't think you get books as frequently, there's longer gaps between her books. So I've been waiting a long time for a book from her because I loved the party wall. Like I was just like blown away by the party wall. I can't even actually remember what it was about, to be honest, but Mm -hmm. I remember I loved it and Mm -hmm. I've been waiting. And then I saw a couple months ago or something that she had this new book and I was like, yes, I didn't even know what it was about. And I'm like, but I put it onto my list. So this time when I saw and read a little more into what it was about. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. I'm sorry. Sounds so good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I hope we're right. I really oh hope God. we're right. I hope we haven't <laughs> jinxed them all and they're like, <laughs> none of them. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait to hear what Jolene says, what her picks are. Yes, because that's right. I think last year, I think there have been a couple of times when she's nailed a lot of the a lot of the yeah. shortlist titles as well. So we'll have to wait and see. I but, have not uh, done well in the past. So Yeah. I've done I think most I've gotten, I think I got three out of five, which I thought yeah. was pretty good. So Okay. Number four. Go for it. Shut up, you're pretty by Taya Matanji. And the reason I picked this was because this was published in twenty nineteen and I was thinking Well, that's an interesting book to bring up now, four years, almost five years later, really. So I was thinking, why? That's what I always do. I always look at the dates that they're publishing. Mm. Why is that one showing up all of a sudden? So here's what it is about. And this is just, it's a collection of short stories. I've actually read it and I gave it four stars when I read it. I really enjoyed it. It says in Teo Mutanji's disarming debut short collection, a woman contemplates her Congolese traditions during a family wedding. A teenage girl looks for happiness inside a pack of cigarettes. A mother reconnects with her daughter through their shared interest in fish, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So the reason I picked it is I think it's that African connection. She's Congolese. I thought she's an immigrant to Canada. I kind of felt like she's got a voice here in her stories that might be something we haven't really heard. Now, That's just in my recent past. I just don't remember having a real African connection Mm -hmm. in our stories. A lot of other countries coming to Canada, but not necessarily in from Africa. Yeah, no, Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I picked that one. Yeah. No, good choice. Interesting. Okay. So for my fourth choice, I went with the nonfiction book. So I went Mm -hmm. with Mama Sketch by Daryl J. McLeod. Just quickly, growing up in the tiny village of Smith, Alberta, Daryl J. McLeod was surrounded by his Cree family's history in shifting and unpredictable stories. His mother, Bertha, shared narratives of their culture, their family, and the cruelty that she and her sisters endured in residential school. I know it's a story that, you know, we, it's not a story that we're not unfamiliar with now. And this one was released in 2018 going by what you when you went back to 2019 mm-hmm. and it won the governor general's literary award for nonfiction. oh but um i'm intrigued also to see how he his writing style because it describes it as a fractured narrative that it mirrors bertha's attempts to reckon with the trauma and abuse she faced in her own life hmm. so, yeah that's interesting yeah i kind of looked at that I guess not as closely as you did. I sort of felt like 
we've it's it sounds horrible to say we've heard this before mm-hmm. and i don't mean it with in any disrespectful way at all but i was thinking that because it's a 2018 book you know what i mean i thought yeah. it's interesting that we're going back yeah so that's why i didn't necessarily look at it as closely yeah well i think i mostly chose it for a little like nonfiction representation mm-hmm. because i think it's the only nonfiction in the bunch yes. as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it surprised me when it came up. I looked it up mm-hmm. and went, oh, here's finally a memoir. And then I always keep thinking whenever I think, oh, can a memoir win? The first year I watched Canada Reads, there was a memoir that got kicked out. I don't remember the title, but it got kicked out really soon. Like it could have gone out first. Yeah. And then, of course, Forgiveness Mm-hmm. One Canada reads yep. a few a year or two later, and so that's why whenever I come across a, a memoir, I think it could go out first. It could win. You yeah. know, it's like it's not. It's it's usually there's one nonfiction out of the five, so it's always hard to know. You know, where's it going to end? Yeah, and often it's always whoever defends a nonfiction or especially a memoir, they always bring, you know. It, is it more important than a story? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's a true yes. story, which is, uh, it's a lame argument to make yeah. for one book being more important than another, but yeah, know, they still do it. So I would actually like to see it there to see if someone can defend it without using that defense or that argument. And I have to say, I, I heard, I do not remember who said this because it was, I know an indigenous author but I don't remember who it was. And it was interesting because we've had some memoirs that we've said, oh, I didn't like the narrative. I didn't, it was, it jumped around. It did mm-hmm. this, it did da, 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 whatever. And then somebody said, I know it was an indigenous author said, that's how we do our storytelling. We yeah. don't do a linear storytelling. Oh, I know who it was. It was uh, the one Dirty Water. That's who it was. I heard oh, him on an yes, interview. yes. And he said, that's not how we tell stories. So his argument was, we have to stop reading it as if it fits into our narrow definition of what a memoir or a linear or what linear storytelling looks like. And I've never forgotten that because I thought, man, that is so important. And for me, going forward, I will always read those memoirs differently. And that's why when you said it, it said it was a fractured telling or something. Mm -hmm. And I thought, boy, there's, that's exactly what it might be trying to say again. Right. And I've been reading a lot of memoirs lately that the storytelling isn't linear. Like there's something just, they're, they're experimenting with how they're telling Mm -hmm. their story. And I am intrigued by that process, like the, that writing process and how I read it. So mm-hmm. that's what I, I just had this sense. I'm like, I want to know kind of how it's written. I want to know yeah. what, what is he doing with the story? So, well, that'll be interesting to see yeah. if it makes it and, uh, and how it does in the competition. So, okay. My last one, I am very excited to read. Oh, I got to bring up my, hold on. Sorry yep. about this, everybody. No, okay. I have to bring up my, my list. And this one is, sounds really fascinating. Denison Avenue by Christina Wong and Daniel Innes. And it says, a moving story told in visual art and fiction about gentrification, aging in place, grief, and vulnerable Chinese-Canadian elders uh, 
and oh, and Chinese Canadian or Chinese Canadian elders. And it says bringing together ink, artwork, and fiction. Denison Avenue follows the elderly Wong Cho Sum who lives in the Kensington Market area in Toronto, the gentrifying area. So I thought again that whole issue of gentrification. I don't think we've talked about that in the, since I've started since I started following, but I'm very fascinated by that. So that's why I made that my number five. Yeah, no, that's a good choice. I'm intrigued by this one too. I also find it interesting how they call it, like they don't call it an, a graphic novel, right? I think mm-hmm. I put that in my notes as a graphic novel, but that's not how they refer to it as an illustrated book and told in visual art and fiction. Like I just, I'm artwork and fiction. I'm like interested So is to it a graphic novel or is it know. just... That's see that I assumed it was sort of like remember back in the day when you were reading a kid and you were reading like little chapter books and they had like mm. illustrations in them. Yes. I took it that way versus a full on graphic novel. So I cannot wait to get my hands on this. Yes, and maybe that's what it is. I know I'm and the story. That's why I'm intrigued again by like how it's been written. Mm-hmm. And the story sounds really good. It's yeah. yeah. And I also when for the couple of years that we lived in Toronto, I loved Kensington Market. And would just go and walk around there. I just so I would I love the idea of a book where I'm like totally in Kensington Market. Yeah. Okay. My last book, I don't think it's going to surprise you actually, is The Winter Night by Jess Battis. Ooh. No. Okay. That is yes. a very bold choice because oh, yeah. I don't think anything like this has ever won. A fantasy no. has a fantasy ever won? No, I don't think so. I, I think, think it's a great choice, though. Oh, thank you. I think um was a couple years ago. What was that one? Hench, right? Oh, that's right. Oh, I my gosh. That yeah. was, so that made the short list. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that was one of the only real fantasies mm-hmm. or site like that's been on in. So, but I'd heard an interview with this author a couple of months ago and hadn't heard of the author beforehand. And I really enjoyed the interview and what they had to say about their their books that they had mm-hmm. written and stuff. And so they discussed this book. And then when this one popped up, I'm like, well, obviously, I this, this has to be on my list. So it's a queer urban take on the Knights of the Round Table set in Vancouver. So I'm like, yeah, it, it was like an easy pick, just like Bad Medicine. I'm like, done. I think that would be really interesting. But here's my question for you. Okay. I don't know the story of the round table. So do you think I'm going to have to, like, I wonder, oh, you haven't read it yet, but I'm hoping, am I going to have to do research to be able to read it and get it? Or do you think I'll be able to just read it? Hopefully, I think you'll be able to just read it. I really do. Yeah. Okay. Like here, what's the little snippet? Uh, The Knights of the Round Table are alive in Vancouver, but when one winds up dead, it's clear the familiar stories have taken a left turn. Hildy, a Valkyrie, and the investigator assigned to the case wants to find the killer and maybe figure her life out while she's at it. There's an autistic college student, the reincarnation of Sir Gawain. So, yeah, no, I think. Okay. I think you can just jump into it. I hope so, because it's sort of like mythology. I don't know myth- I don't know mythology, so when they do sort of retellings, mm. I always kind of skip those books because I feel like I just don't know enough of the backstory. And I would have to read that to really grasp it fully, I think. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't think you're totally. <laughs> I don't think you're totally wrong. Because I think if I look at like 
let's look at myth retellings. I don't, Mm -hmm. they're not for everyone. I don't think, right? Like you, even if you look at just like the Greek mythology retellings, like people who love them, Mm -hmm. love them, but they also generally love Greek mythology too. Yeah. Right. And you, when you love something, you love seeing it being a different perspective or a different take on it, or like the tables being flipped, whereas the hero who's usually a man is like flipped around and the woman becomes really the, the main character kind of thing. Right. So, so I, I think you have a valid argument, but I don't think you would need to know the whole story in this case. Yeah. But I do, it does sound really interesting. And I would be, again, in trying to bring more fantasy into my life, I would be very happy to read that. That would be a good one, I think. Sounds like a really good one to read. So Yeah. Let me give you like the last tagline. The Winter Night is a propulsive urban fairy tale. I love fairy tales. And detective story with queer and trans heroes that asks what it means to be a myth, who gets to star in these tales, and ultimately how we make our stories our own. Ooh. Right? See, that's... And that's so, really excellent. Yeah. Yep. And like really... So the, you got storytelling and you have representation of characters who generally aren't represented. Right? Perfectly said. Yeah. I think you're right. So I think that one, that one really could. I know, again, our friend Sarah, she really wanted that one to make it. So uh, you guys, I can't wait to see what happens. And the amazing thing is we have a whole month because it's going going to be January 11th, I think, is when the shortlist and the defenders are announced. Oh my God, so exciting. So, you know, if you want to comment on our Instagram, uh, if you want to make a comment on our YouTube or send us an email or something, a message somehow and let us know what you think will be on the list. Do you agree with us? Do you disagree? Uh, Is there something on there that you're just dying to read and wanting someone to defend? Just let us know. Yeah. We would love to hear from you and happy reading. Happy reading.